Welcome to Escape the Earth. We are a sci-fi and fantasy podcast broadcasting from an undisclosed location within the San Antonio Public Library. We are supported by the library and by the San Antonio Public Library Foundation. So a big shout out to them. I'm Mary Elizabeth. and My other crew members today are Alyssa. Hi, everybody. Tim. Cheerio. And JD. Hey, y'all. Today, we are going to be talking about Fonda Lee's Jade City. Before we get into that, though, we just want to warn everyone about a couple of things. First, there will be spoilers. We go into this assuming you have read the book, so we aren't going to tiptoe around anything. If you haven't read the book, hit the pause button, go read it, and come back to us. Part of our goal is to encourage people to read the books. Second, this is geared towards adults. We're not potty mouths or anything, but sometimes the subject matter will not be for youngling ears. Thanks, Mary. So today's selection is written by Fonda Lee, and Fonda Lee is the author of the epic fantasy Greenbone Saga, and that's beginning with Jade City, which is today's selection, and continues in Jade War and concludes in Jade Legacy. She is also the author of science fiction novels Zero Boxer, Exo, and Crossfire, and two novellas, the Greenbone Saga, Saga prequel, The Jade Setter of Jan Loon, and the upcoming Untethered Sky. Fonda is a winner of the World Fantasy Award, the Locus Award, and four-time winner of the Aurora Award, Canada's National Science Fiction and Fantasy Award, as well as a multiple finalist for the Hugo Award, the Nebula Award, the Oregon Book Award. Her novels have garnered multiple starred reviews and appeared on best of the year lists from NPR, Barnes & Noble, Sci-Fi Wire, and others. Jade City has been trans translated into a dozen languages, named to Time Magazine's Top 100 Fantasy Books of All Time, and option for television development. She's also written acclaimed short fiction and been an instructor at writing workshops, including Viable Paradise and Clarion West. Fonda is a former corporate strategist and black belt martial artist, so don't mess with her. She loves action movies and Eggs Benedict. She was born and raised in Canada and currently resides in the Pacific North Northwest. And this is all from the Fondalee.com about Fondalee page. Take it away, Alyssa. Okay, here's our synopsis of Jade City. Jandloon City is a bustling modern metropolis, home to fearsome fighters known as Greenbones. These honor-bound gangsters possess preternatural powers ignited by contact with magical jade. Said to come from the gods, this bioenergetic stone can only be found on the island of Kakan, and only be wielded by those of certain ancestral blood. To touch jade without the proper genetics is to risk going mad. That is, until a foreign power develops SN1, a drug that allows anyone who takes it to wield jade. This development upsets the balance of power among the Greenbone clans, and war erupts between its most powerful families. As these former allies turned rivals vie for control, their Greenbone warriors battle for tribute and territory on the streets of Janloon. Their very survival of country and clan hang in the balance. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so just I always wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> just before we started recording, we were talking about what kind of stains we would have on our books. And <laughs> mine was a drip of coffee. JD, what was yours again? It was chorizo juice. Chorizo <laughs> juice, all right. And mine is always salad dressing. I feel like I'm always getting the, the oil on the pages. <laughs> um, Mine's just going to be random stuff here and there whenever, <laughs> where I'm sitting or grabbing at. <laughs> no, no definite thing. No. <laughs> so who wants to give their overall impression of Jade City first? Uh, I well, man, I I 
started this book earlier than I typically do because I typically will read our books like the weekend before and just kind of jam it all in. But this one, it was a larger book, I felt like, but it was so wonderful and it just like I wanted it was just so easy to dive into this world it's so well fleshed out there's this wonderful history in there um so I was just like yeah I went yeah sure I'll sit and read this (laughs) I can I cannot do all the dishes that I need to do (laughs) but it was but it was I really enjoyed this book um and, and it's the first in a trilogy, so I need to read the next two now too. <laughs> so this will be this will be where we'll give a uh, uh, heads up warning. Reading Jade City will cause you to read all three novels in the series, and will also lead to a pile of dirty dishes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> But lucky for you readers, we waited until the trilogy was complete, so you will not be cliffhung, which is one of my major <laughs> pet peeves in fantasy. Oh, Having been cliffhung by uh, Martin and before that Jordan, so Jordan, <laughs> not really his fault. Having you know, yeah, being that he passed away, but not die. But <laughs> I think <laughs> I think right. George R. R. Martin might actually be praying that someone else will complete that series <laughs> for him <laughs> you think he's kind of tired of it <laughs> no because he, keep, he <laughs> keeps going back and writing prequels prequels that nobody asked for <laughs> they're not like, nearly as hold fun on, i got i'm not done i think he's okay he's having too much fun writing the, this this world <laughs> but yeah this was a fun read and i would definitely even try to read it again it was really nice to read this one so it did put me in mind a lot of the uh, rebecca roan horse series Ex- you know kind of there we have the central american influence here we have the uh, eastern influence of course um the the major difference being that this is kind of a mixture of traditional a very tradition driven society Mm -hmm. but what's coming into modernity modernity at the same time it also reminds me a lot of the godfather (laughs) yeah a lot of reviews liken it to that (laughs) there there was a lot of genre mixing there um i got like yeah well i would say the sopranos but still that mafia uh archetype or whatever Obvious, mm-hmm. obviously martial arts um throwing a little like john wick style and some shakespearean stuff i mean it was just like a perfect blend of, of all that stuff to me at least Alyssa. oh i thoroughly enjoyed this book and i for a big part of it for me was the nostalgia piece i felt like i, I kept trying to figure out what well first where does this book play take place what time period is it based off because it felt so close to things in real life it was like same same but different for me it felt like it took place in the 1960s roughly based on the technology that was happening because they had just talked about like the advent of color television all the phones were attached to the wall there were no computers in this book at all (laughs) But the cars, like you have to, you can't talk about this book without talking about the cars. They, I thought that was such a really, you know, the cars were characters in the book also like the ZT Valor and the Silver Row Wolf. Like, I don't know. I was just, I think I was fascinated by the technology and it felt so comforting to me because it felt like. It uh, felt like like this childhood. Yeah. (laughs) Not that I was raised in the sixties. I was, I'm a little bit um, younger than that, but you know, just the phones were in the wall. (laughs) I, I don't know that that nostalgia yeah. was really appealing to me. I think its time period is placed similar to our post-war World War II, like years a few years after that. You're right; it feels very much of this world. Like this is our history. Like it's just so well written that it feels like our history because it has, you know, she she names guns and she like the names of guns and the names of the cars which i was like wait what is that and i actually went and looked them up i was like is this a real car <laughs> I, like, I did too what? i was like what's a duchess <laughs> what is a duchess 
<laughs> and and there were like different versions of it, but I always leaned towards the earlier models of them because that's what just felt like, like these old classic cars roaming the streets of of Jan Loon. And it was really great reading <laughs> of that. But I agree with you. It feels like a sort of nostalgia that I have never been a part of. <laughs> so um, I think she made that decision solely because Gaunt Ash would not feel satisfied throwing his Nakia across the room. <laughs> it had to be a phone that he could rip off the wall. and <laughs> Maybe he had the phone just for that purpose and everybody else just, just didn't use their phone, cell phones. <laughs> it's a different feeling when you throw your own cell phone like no no wait come back <laughs> didn't mean to throw you <laughs> it's so much more ferocious when you rip one off a wall <laughs> there's another yeah. next level <laughs> i kind of miss hanging up on people like the when you're just and you're hanging out and you hang up hard on people <laughs> it's a little different when you're just pushing the button <sighs> anger anger pushed <laughs> it's, it's much just, less satisfying than it's like, less satisfying <laughs> They they should make a uh, a sound effect for your phone so where you push the button, it makes that sound right. like you just slam the receiver down. Yeah. <laughs> In reference to the car, not just the cars, the, the way the people were dressed, the way they wore their jade, everything. Like Mary says, uh, um, Fonda did a very good job of world building, but it's also like branding or style building I, I like really i'm sure everyone else had the same experience you could really see see like what was you know coming off the page and um like i, I wanted to sign up for all of that i wanted that car i wanted some jade i know i was like oh i think i do need some jade earrings <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right it was styled so many different ways you had mm -hmm. some people wearing it as jewelry all different types of jewelry rings bracelets like uh these involved ornate things and then lots of like people who had it pierced in their body and their ears yeah. and their lip and their nose and then of course the really like um iconic one in Hilo where he had it embedded in his collarbones like it's yeah, a like collar some really intense body modification that sounds like so, yeah I agree it was really great to hear all of that just to imagine it and be like wow yeah he does sound tough and scary <laughs> but at the same time approachable Yes, he's so charismatic. <laughs> like the way he's described when he goes to see his cousin Andin and, you know, the, his languid ease of movement. It was just like, oh, wow, he's like a like a panther. <laughs> After he beats him up. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually like the character of Hilo a lot. I kind of, you know, going back to George R. R. Martin, I kind of always got the uh the rob stark feeling from lan uh but hilo um he seemed to be the glue of the group you know he was trying to keep everybody together his followers were all super loyal to him you know and he has sort of this impetuous attitude but you know the thing that's really telling about him is there's one part where he is thinking to himself like man, I really don't want Land's job. Like, he, he feels for the position that his brother's in. He he likes his job. That's just very clear-cut. I take my orders from from the pillar, and I go do what I'm, what I'm supposed to do, and I just keep our territory safe. And, oh, uh, so, and we haven't quite explained this. There is a hierarchy of the... I guess the Yakuza or the gang members, there's the pillar, he's the head of the of the the gang, and then there's the horn who's in charge of, I guess, the brute force of the gang. And the horn has fists and fingers, uh, which I just love the world building of that. And then you have the weatherman who is in charge of all the business, what I think was likened to the conciliary from like the godfather in charge of all the businesses and um accounting, and they have their own. Uh, rankings of people below them and even the pillar has like a pillar man and he's like just his not second in command but who helps him run i guess his office <laughs> but um that hey. building of making sure there was that structure already set in there when you're when you're arrive into this world 
was the really pillar nasty. man's kind of like the chief of staff. There you go, chief of staff. <laughs> um, so in the very beginning of the book, we have this scene with Barrow, and I forgot the other guy's name now. Um, Sampa. Sampa, right. Barrow and Sampa, they are uh, basically normal, everyday people, and by that I mean they're not green bones, they don't wear jade, but they want jade. They and... can't wear jade. Well, I think Sampa can, but he's a native. No, Sampa is a, is a well, he can, like he can He can uh, interact with it. He won't get <laughs> the itches. He's from a clan that's non-reactive. Right. Yeah, he's but, he's part of the Abuki uh group of people. He's the and I think they're taught they're they're described as being more native to the to the to Kakan. To Kakan. That's how you say but, it. I, I don't know. I didn't I didn't actually audiobook this one. <laughs> I, I just once I started reading, I could not stop. <laughs> um and then um so, uh, Barrow, the troublemaker, <laughs> wants to touch the, the jade and he and because of the SN1 that is now more available to people, that might be more a viable option for him to that he can actually interact with Jade. So continue, uh, Tim. Continue. <laughs> so, sorry, but but you see right away how the power of Jade can corrupt. And and you have the the groundwork right there in that in that very opening scene when you know, you're, you're introduced to Hilo and the Mike brothers and and Barrow and Sampa. And Sampa, they, they, did they kill Sampa or they, they just, no, they just beat him up really they bad. They beat them right? up. Yeah. Yeah. So Barrow and Sampa are trying to steal Jade from one of the no peak relatives. He's uh, sort of like a drunk uncle. And they drag his drink, and when he goes into the ref's room, then they try to cheal his, steal his jade. And they would have gotten away for with it if they could have just left that third earring in place. They couldn't get it off, and so he ends up ripping it off, and uh, that wakes the drug uncle up. And the drug uncle grabs Sampa, and... Sampa drops all the jade and Barrow scoops up the jade and tries to abscond with it and he's stopped by Hilo and the and the Mike brothers but for one instant there Barrow gets the feeling of what it's like to be able to move with such quickness and speed that he is instantly addicted to the feeling of being in contact with jade and that drives every decision he makes from there on out. I found the part where he does interact with the Jade and he feels its power. Um, it's, it says a sudden surge of heat and energy, unlike anything he had ever felt before ripped through him, like an electric current. He reached the wide curving staircase that led to the second floor where diners were getting ready and peering over the balcony railing to see what the com commotion was. Barrow rushed up the stairs, clearing the entire expanse in a few bounds, his feet barely touching the floor. A gasp ran through the crowd. Barrow's surprise burst into the ecstasy. He threw his head back to laugh. This must be lightness. It was so it was like, well, I want to I want to feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> but you're grab you're grab you're grabbed right there with how much this the the feeling of holding jade he's not he's an untrained person holding this jade and and you're already like wow that was that's a really powerful feeling and, and it does a good job of uh setting up how the book is so volatile i mean you're in one place one one second maybe and you're totally i, I don't know in a different position of power or status or it's all over the place and I also like the way that kind of sets it up um, in a Martin kind of fashion, Martin-esque fashion of where like maybe minor characters or characters that aren't such uh, major parts in the story have lead to major arcs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I always think of it 
you know, this in particular, like countries that have one source of of income, you know, one natural resource that they exploit and control the supply of the the no peak wants to keep jade pretty much within kakan but the mountain wants to sell it out they want to produce the shine and and sell jade to foreigners which ultimately would drive up their profits but would hurt the country right um, and, and i can see no peak uh, wants to be more mountains. reserved yeah right i can and i can see the the pros and cons of both sides <laughs> which is really interesting about this book at first i was like i'm gonna be impartial we don't know who's a good guy and who's a bad guy technically they're all bad guys they're gangsters <laughs> But you quickly get wrapped up in Hilo and Lan and Shay and Anden. And you're like, okay, they're like, I want them to win. <laughs> but they have a very conservative view of how they want to handle Jade compared to the mountain. They kind of have the losing side, the isolationist and then the ancient. They don't want to move forward. For me, that created quite a tension because I thought, I don't know how this team's going to win when the other one is so much more forward thinking. Yeah, um, I agree. Although ruthless, I mean, uh, <laughs> I at Mata. A bit. <laughs> Whoa. She's an intense character. <laughs> She's very intense. Uh, and then and even Gaunt Ash, like just the people she surrounds herself with are just very imposing. I wonder if in the other books, if Hilo has to have a more open idea of how he's going to handle the jade and all of that. I, that's why I'm like, I got to read the next book. <laughs> I got to see where they go. <laughs> it's going to be Shay, not Hilo or Hilo. It's going to be Shay. That's going to, you know, she's already bridging the gap with the Espenians. She's going right, to be the one right. that helps bring it to the international. Like, I feel like if anybody's yeah. going to save the clan, it's going to be her. It's going to be her, but she has, I think she has to convince Hilo to like at some point like this is going to be good for us because he's ultimately the pillar unless he dies <laughs> I was going to say and I think you're both subtracting the volatility you're like you're like assuming they're both going to be in the next book I don't know maybe they are but maybe it's for a page who knows right who knows we return the, the page of the first book and every <laughs> so they're all dead and Andy Andin is the one in charge <laughs> I love it I love books where they're not afraid to kill off their characters it's the nope. best no fear there <laughs> I, I have to agree with that. Frodo must die. <laughs> no. <laughs> Isn't there a scene at the end where they where they do sell some jade to to try and make up uh, some of their profit yeah. or to to bring in some more profit? Yes, Shay enlists the help of Hilo's wife. What's her name? When? When? What? When? When? Yeah, and to because she's a stone eye, she's she can touch the jade and it won't affect her, and she, you also can't sense the jade because she's holding it. And she could be a a white rat, right? Did I make that up? <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> I love all the little things, the little terminologies that we learned through this. <laughs> Yeah, the white um, rat is like a spy, a stone eye spy for the family clan. And they, yeah. they can carry jade, but I lost it. Yeah, they can <laughs> carry jade, but the jade won't affect them. And they can all, and also you can't, nobody who can sense jade can sense it while they're holding the jade. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So she goes to Espena, which I always think is like Spain. <laughs> Because I can't help it. Um, <laughs> cause, because Spain is next to China or Japan, whatever. <laughs> no, it's not. But, you know, in my head, <laughs> my, my mind is creating this world in my mind to make it fit. <laughs> so, I keep thinking it, it was feels... Spain. Me too. Right? <laughs> I thought it was Spain. But then at the end, when you get the, their perspective, I'm like, oh, this is the U.S. Right. 
Yeah. They sounded very much like their naval system and everything sounded very U.S. to me. Yeah. And and the attitude of the country in general. Right. And now we know why you're not a cartographer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I'm not sure where the other states are either. So. I kept imagining Kekon as Japan, Espenia as the United yeah. States, and then Yugaton as Russia and Shotar oh. as China. That was my interpretation. Yeah, or, or just like, you know, it's how you, you're interpreting it to make it fit our world because it feels like our world. <laughs> but yeah, so she go Wen goes over there because Shay had un wittingly because she had a boyfriend that was a Spanian who was a naval officer or whatever on Kakan when she was younger and she ran away with him and she told them all the secrets <laughs> it's like oh Shay <laughs> um and she goes and, and she goes to school there she gets an Spanian uh education but because of those early ties she's able to get more funding to help the war effort basically so she's very she's very smart very bright oh i love this book (laughs) i like how the characters are so multifaceted or i don't know if i want to say conflicted um yeah they'll have both (laughs) okay there we go let's use both those terms (laughs) at the beginning shay was really making me angry Yes, yes, I agree. You, you can't come back to this situation and then expect, like, oh, I'm just going to lead an anonymous life. You know, there the tensions are high. There's a war brewing, and you know that the mountain is ruthless, and that they will use any lever they can. I mean, Hilo didn't share with her that. Andy had been kidnapped off the street, but you you would think that she would still know that. I just kept wanting her to say, okay, come on, go be weatherman. You need to be weatherman. And, and it took her too long to come around. Maybe it seems really naive, but I, I just think that knowing it and like living it every day are worlds apart. Right, I agree. Yeah, you're felt- you're right. It took her too long, but I think it had to take her too long for, to progress the story, basically. But oh man, I was with you there. I was just like, "Come on, Shay, put that. Just put an <laughs> earring in, maybe a little ring." <laughs> you're like a pusher, Mary Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> did you did you hear that part where Barrow, who's <laughs> had no, he made it sound good. <laughs> So, Lan really kind of sacrifices himself, right? He kind of does. I yeah, I would, I could see that. He's. I wonder if he kind of sees. He well, he sees how popular Hilo is, and he sees the corner he's being pushed into. So he does go to that uh, one duel, knowing he's been pushed into this corner, and it's a little sad seeing the 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 road he's walking alone because he feels so lonely and it's so sad <laughs> he's bound by duty yeah he's and very the story mm-hmm. all of his actions are to family duty clan he's, he's driven by that and and to that need to maintain appearances as a strong member of the clan is ultimately what ends up being his downfall right because he's wearing this jade that he acquired in the duel. And I kept yeah. wondering if they were going to tell us like, ooh, they that that the mountain tainted that jade somehow, but that didn't come into play. It's just that he, it was just an amount that he couldn't, like he couldn't manage. And then he ended up taking the, the SN1 to try and be able to hold that larger amount of jade. But he had that wound from, um, from the duel, right? That they channeled into his like, <laughs> insides and he he just he wasn't recovering so he had all these different contributing factors yeah the, the, that led to his downfall conflicts but I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you said but also i don't think he sacrificed himself he was sacrificed but more more of what you're saying it's like because he couldn't 
he couldn't bear to take the jade off, but at the same time. And I was wondering about that too. And I'm not writing off it being cursed or whatever because the jade's <laughs> in the process of being moved. And there it is hinted at because there's a conversation between Lan and Andy when Andy picks up the the shine for him and takes it to the house and he finds Lan in the training room and they have that that whole little scene where Lan is training Andy and then Lan steps out and Andy takes that as an opportunity to look at what he's brought to the house and um Lan says something to the effect of the jade's not tainted i don't care about what superstitions you've heard um so there is some kind of folktale about the ability to taint jade and i thought i did think at the time also that that resolution was too easily made we'll just have to read the next books then <laughs> <laughs> right i i i felt like okay, we showed up in force at your training facility and they just sent out those two guys to be killed. Yeah. Like, I I don't, I do, I wouldn't take that at face value. I feel like it possibly was tainted in some way. The mountain is more clever than that. Does that go back to the virtue too? Because he was, he was going to that house with the, how do I say this? With, with the the paid services, of oh, <laughs> like that's where he was that night, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, you probably don't want to have like your whole detail out when you're going there. I don't know. That's that's just what I thought when I was reading it. That like maybe that right, too contributed. Oh yeah, he he was out there, and he was he didn't have a bodyguard, even though he was deep within their, his own territory he still should have had a bodyguard just because they were con conflicting with the mount with the mountain and they had already kidnapped Andin. Yeah. And so there was a bit of hubris and that was his undoing. I liked what you said earlier where he wasn't sac he was sacrificed. He didn't sacrifice himself. Yeah. I, I agree with that. So, um, what was your favorite scene in the book? Oh gosh, that is rough. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the scenes with Hilo and Shay. And there's this one scene in particular, it's after Lan's died and she's taken her Jade back on. And I think they're sitting around in the house and Hilo's like, Hey, whatever happened with Gerald anyway, who dumped who? And she <laughs> admits, she admits that that he left her and Hilo's like, oh, that's that's figures. <laughs> I believe. Yeah, it figures. Right. Like you never let go of anything. And then he says, uh, I can off him for you. And she's like, I can kill my own boyfriend. <laughs> Thanks very much. That was a good scene. <laughs> yeah, well, because um... Lan's, Lan's wife who left Hilo was. He like, was ready to kill he, he, he had people on him already. There was like, no. No. <laughs> I did he's not like ask a, you to do that. He's like an eager puppy. I could kill him for you, right? I could kill him. I could kill him. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> Go I do like the scene where, where Shay took her jade back. Yeah, that was very powerful. Yeah. She's like, we're going to the bank first. Hilo's not going to mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all her like all her indecisiveness was done, and she her choice. She knew her choices now. She didn't have any more. There was no going back and forth. She she knew what had to be done. Now she was she was done being the shell of who she knew she could be. She was faded. I don't see her as diminished by her time and going to Espenia and trying to no. be something other than what her family wanted her or really set her up to be like, I mean, when you have like, uh, you know, that kind of a situation where it's like you're being funneled into a position and you feel like you have no choice. I feel like the natural thing to do is rebel and to try to go your own way. And that's what I saw her character doing right. is trying to rebel, yeah. trying to go her own way, kind, trying to find her place 
place in this patriarchal system that kind of had a place for her and kind of didn't, but then was going to shove her into this weatherman position eventually. I think she was just really trying to figure out who she was and what her place was. And I don't it know. gave her gave her tools to kind of leverage, like Mary was saying um, later. That's a horrible sentence, but <laughs> she was just so torn about not being part of the family's inner turmoil and but wanting still wanting to make sure that she was not a part of the family business it was that indecisiveness that like she wanted and she even knew like you know she's like i want to know what's going on but i also don't want to know what's going on that that whole like on the fence was done at that point but no i agree with you yeah there's she was trying to at least she and she did accomplish things that she she got her apartment by herself she got the job at back in espana was back with them probably by herself uh she was proud of that that she accomplished those i think lan allowed her the freedom to do that um as long as lan was there she was free to kind of do what she wanted Mm -hmm. because she knew lan would take care of the family but once Mm -hmm. he was gone she has this moment of reality well like can can Hilo really do this? Because uh, she yeah. thinks as soon as she realizes that Hilo is pillar now, she's like, "Oh my God, we're we're all gonna die." <laughs> um, and and, and that's she does have a when she steps into her weatherman role. Yeah, and she's already got a plan. By the time she gets to the to the house, and they're ready to go to war, and he's like, "We're going." And she's like, no, I have a better idea. <laughs> and so there's, she's already, maybe she could be Pillar. Hmm. <laughs> she'd be a better, well, I don't know if she'd be a better Pillar than Hilo. They both have their strengths and weaknesses. They need each other. Yeah. yeah they balance each other out for sure. Yeah. And, and Lam uh, was willing for, oh, sorry, Lan was uh, willing for, for everybody to like do what you want to do even and do what you want to do he let his wife go even though he knew he probably should have killed her <laughs> <laughs> so sad <laughs> but you know he he like i want people to be happy he wants his family to be happy even back, when he's back to the sacrificial thing aye, aye, aye. <laughs> <laughs> what were you gonna say to <laughs> but that's also what i respect about hilo is like hilo does not mince words <laughs> like he he says it as it is whereas lan is very reserved but you know sometimes you can be too reserved and you can put off saying things that need to be said and hilo doesn't do that so i have respect for hilo in in that aspect even though he's sometimes impulsive he he will say the hard things that need to be said and he grows in the story a lot too. He grows from that thug role. Lan, I think, is is pretty immutable, which is, I think, part of why he dies. He can't really change. He can't really shift from who he is. But Hilo does, and you see it. Like there's that moment when they're in uh, talks with the mountain, where the people are there from the. I think it's called the Royal Council. They're trying to get peace in the city. They're trying to get the clan, the clans to. Um, they're mediating among the clans and trying to get some peace. And um, there's this moment where Hilo realizes, I'm not Lan. I can't do this Lan's way. I can't do this Shay's way. But I'm really good with people. And I know how to talk to people and make them follow me. And I got to do this my way. And that's a real growth moment for Hilo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I liked Hilo right off. I mean, I didn't hate him. I just like, whatever. But yeah, he, he grew more likable in my to me, at least, reading the, the story. The initial scene with Hilo and Wen, where he, like, sneaks in her window and covers her mouth. And he <laughs> it's some, like, kind of gross misogyny happening yeah. in that scene, right? So there's some critics mm-hmm. I was reading. People were critical of that scene and of that character. But I, I think he grows from that. From that, yeah. But he is that kind yeah, of machismo it- sort of gross right kind of yeah. dude <laughs> and, and they do have that scene but you know he do you doubt that he loves when 
Absolutely not. No, yeah, not he loves her. It's it does become a really really interesting scene <laughs> in there. <laughs> but you do see how much he cares and loves her and her brothers because <laughs> they're his his fists, his top fists. Um, they they were ostracized when they were younger, and he brings yeah. them in, and 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 they gain respect because of because he's a call his family's name he's he's a call so people are going to respect him and he's just so he's such so so charismatic <laughs> with everybody around him <laughs> he knows how to work people he really does mm-hmm. it's part of his charm and his skill and the mountain has been carrying out these these plans in secret for a while like they've been stealing the jade they've been ramping up the shine production that and they've been exporting it and reaping huge rewards uh financial benefits and by the time lan and shay and hilo discover all these plots that are afoot things are already looking pretty dire and insurmountable and then especially so after lan is killed or lan dies but the raid in armpit does cost the mountain quite a bit and then they're also able to take out gaunt ash which is devastating to the mountain so they look like they're on a little bit better footing at the end what do you make of that last scene with Barrow, though? I'm telling you that that curse is coming back. <laughs> I I just find it interesting each time they could have done away with somebody like Barrow that cost them. <laughs> like if they had killed Barrow at the beginning, like Hilo had wanted to, because he, he was already tainted. He's already gone mad. Like he was already... He, uh, he's gonna be. He's gonna have that that drive to get Jay no matter what, and Lan lets him go. And yeah, that, I was. Then he comes back for him. Yeah. As as Twice. Tim as um <laughs> as Tim as you were saying that no peak seem seem to have the advantage. I was thinking, kind of like what Mary was saying, and in the sense that um, they're how do I say it? Because it's not all his emotions or whatever, but they're shades of how you're gonna deal with things where the um the mountain is just merciless so i don't i think they can replace whoever they just find the meanest sob you can find hire them we're good oh you whisper somebody's name (laughs) (laughs) i loved that (laughs) so much good vocabulary in this book loved it yeah i loved it the names of all the districts too like the armpit and and Papa and I love like uh who was that guy Mutt who was yeah. the, the informer and the name mm-hmm. of the name of his shop was or no it wasn't Mutt it was Temben who was the jade carver the white rat for the mountain oh, and he yeah, he yeah. owned the Papa pawn shop <laughs> like <laughs> I loved that I love it it's so great <laughs> yeah but you know you can see the jade sickness in Barrow right away like it colors everything he does he's he's being sent by mutt and this unknown green bone to go and shoot up the uh the lilac divine or whatever the place is called in the middle of the armpit or you know strong no peak territory and he doesn't even see like you're being sent on a suicide mission nobody expects you to come out of this alive and the fact that he does is is incredible. It's by stupid luck, really, because he, he almost got killed, except for Lan had a heart attack while he was trying to choke him. Yeah, Barrow doesn't care. He's all in, but he's also lucky. Like you, you, yes. know, you just brought up Tim. He's lucky like every single time. And he's so lucky that is it Mutt who's like, I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to kill you. You are too lucky. 
Yes, yes. Get out of my get get you know go through this little passage get and get the here. hell out yeah. of town. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like really that. You're, <laughs> you have a strange luck. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> okay, here's where it comes full circle. Number one, luck runs out. Number two, the first time we meet Barrow is in what place? The twice lucky. The twice lucky. Oh. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh you got to love the twice lucky. That's such a cool place. Oh, man. Every time yeah. I read about that place, although I, I want uh, crispy squid balls. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sounds awesome. <laughs> At least the way they describe it. <laughs> oh, just, it like just the right amount of crisp. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it when Hilo and, and Gaunt Ashley confront. It's like, have you been eating the crispy squid balls? And he's like, every day. <laughs> every day. <laughs> so like, cheeky. Mm, yeah. Uh, well, uh, I think we're we're at the point where we ask who we recommend this to. I have one question before that. Okay. I want to know if you could have a jade power, which jade power would you want of the six? So to review, there are strength, deflection, steel, perception, channeling, and lightness. I was going to ask the same question, but I couldn't remember all the powers. (laughs) But I myself... I have notes. (laughs) I might have to defer to them, but right now I myself will say deflection. It seems seems really cool. And why? What, uh, what's you can throw clothes without touching them. No, I don't know. I I get like a sense of because that's where you could like use things to to push aside, right? Or mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't know. I've always been a fan of like kind of like telekinetic whatever um, fiction, <laughs> for lack of a better description. It just seems like it'd be cool and powerful. Well, right, and when you when you get really good at deflection, you can bring things, whip them around you, and send them back out with um, more velocity, so you can turn whatever's launched against you against the your opponent. And I like deflection myself because it reminds me of Darth Vader's force push. <laughs> <laughs> I'm liking the deflection also, but I think practically for me, because I'm such a klutz, I might pick lightness so that if I fall down, I won't hurt myself too badly. <laughs> Strength is always my, I always want that superpower. I always want to be like really, really strong. So strength would be the one that I would pick. Like rogue. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I want to be buff, but I don't want to work for it. I just want the power. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's a good question so lightness would be the the other one and strength definitely good steel seemed like less useful to me uh but it did come in handy when you're in hand-to-hand combat and the the cool thing is with the jade powers is like you don't have to act when you become advanced you can activate more than one at a time and in different parts of your body so it seemed like people were better with you know had like aptitudes but you could you had all the powers yeah yeah. just in different variations yeah although Um, i have to admit channeling scares the crap out of me that one's oh, yeah, that's that was kind of freaky. Yeah, I kind of got yeah. bummed out about the mice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did too. All that violence in the book, and I get bummed out about mice. Yeah. <laughs> but human humans can choose to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah, but Ma- the poor mice couldn't do anything. <laughs> the, the mice didn't have a choice. No. <laughs> I think uh, I would recommend this to everybody. <laughs> it's got something for everyone. I think it's really, it's really cool. <laughs> I would recommend it to people who like higher concept action. Oh, I like that. Okay. <laughs> Alyssa. I think it's, I mean, it's, I don't want to judge it before I read the other two books. But it's been 
um, it's a it's a series that's come up a lot for me in a lot of different circles of people who like fantasy and recommend fantasy as one of the better trilogies. And I feel like the first book bears that out. So it definitely be a high recommendation for anybody that's like wanting a new fantasy series and I feel kind of unreserved about recommending it even having not read those second two books it feels to me like some of my favorites just in the sense of like it's like level of goodness um and you know y'all know I love Red Rising so I feel like oh if you love Red Rising I would want to give this series to you if you love the Mistborn I would want to give this series to you and those are two of my like favorite all-time sci-fi fantasy series so this one is is vying towards the top. Can I make can I make an amendum? Yeah. Um me and Mary were kind of neck and neck with how quick we were reading the book and it's um it flows really easily her writing style. I I can't think since the first like Hunger Games one have I read a book where it's just every word was kind of perfectly in place. So I would recommend it to people who maybe would maybe <laughs> maybe would normally shy away from a 500 uh, page book or whatever because it's not going to seem like you're reading such a big book it just flows right. so, so beautifully i agree i want to say it was like an easy read but only because the writing was so well done yeah she did and she just dumb it down she just yeah crafted it perfectly mm-hmm. i think that's a fruit of it being very well organized with the terminology you were you understood the world because you understood the relation of the pillar to the fists and the weathermen and the fingers and the, like it it was logical in a way where you didn't have to work for it. Really clear. She she did a great job in in bringing the world and the society to life, and you know, some thought went into that and to the structure of everything from the governments to the organization of the clans to the different businesses and religions and how all of those things interplay god we didn't Uh, even get to talk about the religion the religion part is really great too yeah yeah and Mm -hmm. and the traditions i mean there's there's a lot that is tradition dependent and the history of the you have a lot of uh, of history of the land of kikon built in there too but it doesn't ever stop being interesting she writes really crisply and i appreciate that too any any final comments read this book (laughs) read this book (laughs) thank you for listening if you've enjoyed this episode or other episodes we've done please remember to subscribe and give us good rating View our book list, reviews, and suggested reads at guides.mysapl.org forward slash ETE. Write us with stories, suggestions, random thoughts, or interesting sci-fi geek culture information at sapleescapetheearth at gmail.com. That's S-A-P-L, escape the earth, all smushed together like one word at gmail.com. And join us next month for a discussion of Rosebud by Paul Cornell. See you next time. Bye. Escape the Earth.